0: Hey, good morning, Sycamore View. It's great to see those of you in person. Grateful for all of you joining us online. I wanna begin this morning by thanking Logan Thompson, who has been our youth minister for two and a half years. Logan and Marin have been with us. Today is Logan's last day uh, with us. And just wanna thank him. The last two and a half years have been hard for many leaders. The last two and a half years have been hard for church leaders, especially youth ministers. It's been a two and a half year stretch. It's been one of the hardest stretches for youth ministers that some of us probably have ever known. And I just want to thank Logan for the investment he has made in the lives of teenagers and our church. And no matter where Logan and Moran end up, we will always be on the same team. So we are rooting for them as they uh, leave their official work at Sycamore View and continue in their life and journey with God. Thank you. And we will... Uh, Pray over Logan and Moran to end our worship service today. Last Thursday was 901 day. It's a big day for the city of Memphis. There are parties that are thrown. There are gatherings around our city. You see stuff all over social media. On 901 day, uh, I was able to speak at Agape's staff devotional. uh, Agape, I've been a board member now for 12 years. Their team has grown uh, quite a bit. They have over 150 employees, so we can't fit in the Agape offices anymore for a staff devotional. So they partner with churches around where their offices are, close to the airport, and there's a church not too far from there that we gather in their worship center, their sanctuary, and their staff devotionals, it is church. I mean, you have 150 people who come in there, and they worship, they sing, we teach, we pray, they share announcements and do some other staff work. So I spoke for 901 day. And what I did is I talked to them about when I first came to Memphis, there's a verse that took hold of my heart from Luke chapter 19. It's Luke 19:41. It's the story of the triumphal uh, entry of Jesus when Jesus is riding into Jerusalem on a, on a colt, on a, on a donkey. He's riding in, and I've, I've stood in this place now twice to be on that road coming into Jerusalem where Jesus could see all of Jerusalem. So he's riding into this city, and it says in Luke 19:41 t- that Jesus wept over Jerusalem. And it hit me a few years ago when I first came to Memphis that Jesus wept over a city knowing he was within about six days of laying down his life so people in that city could find life. And I found myself being challenged by God, are you willing to love a city and to love a context so much that that you will weep over the brokenness in it and then lay down your life and resources so that people can find life? Is the church willing to follow Jesus in a way that we will weep over the brokenness around us and then lay down our lives and resources so that people around us could find life? So I talked to the Agape staff about this, like what it means to have a heart for God and a heart for a city. And Jesus was praying over a city in which he could see all of Herod's palaces. He could see the temple. He could see Caiaphas' house. He could see the old city of David. He could see Golgotha. There's this panoramic view where he could see all over it. And he wept over all of it, knowing he was about to lay down his life so that people could find life. And after talking to the Agape staff at the very end, I said, I feel like today I need to pray over two groups of people, and I'm going to share with you one group I specifically chose to pray over that day. And one group I specifically chose to pray over is I asked, if anybody here, you feel like you have lost your love for the city and you need God to reclaim that love, will you just stand where you are? And a couple of dozen people stood. And we prayed that God would redeem their love for the 901, redeem their love for the city. And we had this powerful prayer time over people with their hands open asking for God to redeem that love because how can we we serve or evangelize or help people know Jesus if we don't love the context we're in? And sometimes we... We kind of get caught up in the grind of life, and we just fall out of love with whatever context we're in. So I'm talking to the Agape staff about this, having this prayer time, not knowing within 24 hours there's going to be a kidnapping and a murder, and it would bring other kidnappings to life. And then a few days later on Wednesday night, my family and I would get in the car, and we're driving down Sam Cooper, and cops are flying by us, and we didn't know why. And then there's this other event, so... So I woke up Thursday morning and I came in this worship center and I've t- this is a, a practice of mine I pray in here all throughout the week and Thursdays is my sermon writing day. I've already I've done all the research I've done all the work. I've prayed through a text and it, I need about 90 minutes on a Thursday to write the entire sermon Because all the puzzle pieces are there. I just need to put it together So I came in here and there was this restlessness, this restlessness in me because weeks like this with the events that have happened in our city or in our country or events, these are the hardest weeks for me to preach because I wrestle on Thursday of God. Do I stick with what you have given me or do the events need to call me to change some of my words and wrestle with you so I can, I can help people have a better understanding? Because sometimes preaching is about defending God. Not that God needs me to protect God, but sometimes preaching is protecting God. Just being a voice for God and, and But but it's it, I wrestle because I know that some of you came in this morning and you're like I would love to give this entire worship service to the events of the past week And if I don't, sometimes people may say you're insensitive You should have given more time to it And then I know some of you came in and you're like that's all we have heard for days Let's just come in, focus on the cross Let's not worry about all the events around us And as I was praying in here Pacing and praying all by myself, there was a stirring in the waters behind me in the baptistry. Literally, there was a stirring. The waters began to move like a splashing noise. And I immediately started thinking about John chapter 5 where it says there was a stirring in the water and the first one in experienced the power of God. So I was about to jump straight in because I was in need of a touch of God. Then I was going to send a message to all of you. If anybody else wants to get in, there's a stirring in the baptistry. Uh, There's a motor that goes off every morning, all right, just to keep the water fresh and the levels where they need to be. And I I knew that's what it was, but it gave me a way to pray and to think about the stirring of God and to think about a baptism, our baptisms, that wasn't just a once in a lifetime thing we did, but we respond every day from that moment. Uh, So I'm going to go ahead and stick with what I had prepared to preach before Wednesday night and try to use this to inspire us and equip us of what it means to be the people of God moving forward. All right, so to do this, I need three t- teenagers. I don't care who you are. I just need two girls and one guy. I need you to come up on the stage with me just for a moment. All you have to do is hold, a, hold, a, hold just hold a poster board, all right? And I know where the teenagers sit. I haven't identified anybody. I'm just asking two girls, one boy, if you'll go ahead and make your way to the stage. For the rest of the church, if you'll turn to Ma- a- a- excuse me, Acts chapter 16. We're in a series beginning today in Philippians, and I will begin to call two teenage girls and one teenage boy to come up here if you don't start making your way. I know where you sit. It takes 13 seconds from you to get where you are to the stage. So go ahead and start making your way up, all right? In Acts chapter 16, and I want to start here. We're in a series on Philippians. Tonight, I do want to invite you at 5 o'clock to the awakening, where we're talking about the names of God. And tonight, we're talking about God, our healer. And we're going to talk about physical healing, mental healing, social healing. We're going to talk about healing from God. But right now, I want you in Acts chapter 16. And here's how it begins. And you see this up on the screen. In Acts 16, 11 through 13, it says, From Troas we put out to the sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. All right, if you want to stand right here. The guy right over here. I'm going to have you hold this board. And you just hold it like that, and I'll tell you to flip it around just for a moment. There you go. You're going to be right here in the middle for me. Here, keep it. Turn it to you, to you, just for a moment. All right. And here, here we go. Acts chapter sixteen. Thank you guys for being up here this morning. From Troas, we put out to sea and we sailed straight for some 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 of the race. And the next day, we went out to Neapolis and from there, we traveled to Philippi. Repeat after me, Philippi. Philippi. A Roman colony. And the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And I want you just to notice, like Philippi is the leading city of Macedonia. Macedonia, you had Thessalonica, you had Berea, you had uh, Philippi. And Philippi is named as the leading city, a Roman colony, a leading city. And it says several days. When you see several days, I don't want you to think like a few days, like three days. This is like a several days. This is like that relative who comes to town and they just never leave. They're there for a long time. This several days is a long time. Not three or four days and in verse 13 it says this on the sabbath we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer we sat down and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there and here's why they go go to the river and the reason they're at the river is because there's not a synagogue in philippi and i want you to know this place of prayer because every movement of god in Acts 16 where the church is launched in philippi every movement of movement of god we're going to go through this morning begins with a commitment to prayer So there's a place of prayer. And then Paul is talking to the women there. Why is he talking to the women? Because there's no synagogue in the city, which means there's not a large Jewish presence. To have a synagogue in the city, you had to have at least 10 men. So you could have 90 women and eight men, but you couldn't have a synagogue in the city. I know it's just the way the rules were, were back then, all right? So he's down at the river, which would have been like a place of worship for them. And it's a place of prayer. And then he begins talking to this one woman. And if you'll flip yours around. The first person we read about is Lydia. And in Lydia, what we read in Acts chapter 16, verse 14, it says, One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth, a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to Paul's message. And I want you to know there's just a few things there. One, she is listening. Lydia went to a place of prayer, and she seems to be somebody who had a deep prayer life, which involves listening to God, and now she's also listening to what Paul has to say. And I try to always encourage people that when it comes to prayer, it's not just about monologue. It's not just that you have something to say to God. It's at some point you're trying to listen to what God may have to say to you. So she's a woman who is committed to listening. She's a dealer in Purple cloth, so she doesn't just make them, she deals them. This is a woman who has a lot of power and a lot of influence. She has a big house, which you'll see in Acts 16. She can host a lot of people in her home. She's a worshiper of God. She knew Yahweh. At this point, she didn't know Jesus, but she knew who God was. And it says, the Lord opened her heart. I think Acts 16 wants you to know that it's not just good preaching that opened her heart, it's that God was on the move and God opened her heart and because of that Lydia leaned in just a little bit. Last summer I went to the town called Lydia, it's just outside of Philippi, there's a town named after her, that is where the river and stream is. Now when you think Acts chapter 16 and you think about Lydia, I don't want you to think about people like walking outside the city gate and there's a river there, this is a few miles You can do this in a day's journey, but it's a little bit of a journey that you go down and there's a river and there's a stream. And today you can go and there's a place, if you go to this next image right here, uh, go to the next one. Today there's a, and that's actually a moving stream that goes through, that they've created a baptistry that has a stream that goes through it. So there are people who go there to be baptized in the place where Lydia was baptized and it's a moving stream that goes through it. They think this is probably where this place of prayer was. And what you read after that in Acts 16, and you only get a couple of verses about Lydia, but if you go to that next slide right here, what you read is when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Some of your versions said she prevailed upon us. Like it was almost like there was an argument of, hey, I really want y'all to come to my house. And Paul and Silas were like, or Paul and uh, Timothy, they're like, ah, or Paul and Silas, they're like, ah, we're good, we're good, we have an Airbnb, we're good. And she's like, no, seriously, come to my house and. And she, she persuaded them, so they went. And Lydia and her household came to know the Lord. And then if you'll flip yours over. Oh, sorry, let me, flip, let me change these real quick. <laughs> then we got a slave girl who comes into the picture. And that's what the Bible calls her, a slave girl, girl slave. And you just get this one verse. If you go to this next, uh, the verse right there in Acts 16, 16, it says, once when we were going, going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Now, this is where all your English translations aren't really sure what to do right here. Some of it talks about predicting the future. Literally, are you ready for this? Literally, what it says in the Greek is a spirit of a python. It's a spirit of python. It was a god of a certain city. And this, is, this was a powerful god. So a spirit of python. And now I, I just had this vision of this, this girl who had... Had these powers, and in the Bible, the way it talks about it is her evil powers, but like almost like she's walking around with a python. Like Everybody knows who she is, but that's what she did. She had a spirit of a python, so she would go and she would predict people's future. She would somehow prophesy things over people, and she was really good at what she did. In Acts 16, verse 17, it tells you that what this girl said, what she would tell all the crowd, and listen to what she would say, and see if you have anything wrong with this. She said, these men right here are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. Is there anything wrong with what she was saying? These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim the way of salvation. I mean, it seems to be true. And she would say this day after day after day as they were on their way to the place of prayer until finally Paul had enough. And maybe it's not just what she was saying. Maybe it's how she was saying it. Maybe it was sarcastic. Maybe it was, hey, that's who these men say they are. But if any of you want to know if you're going to get married next year, come and tell, talk to me and I'll pay me $50 and I'll tell you yes or no. Like I don't, I don't know how it worked, but Paul drove that demon out of her. That's what it makes it sound like. There's an evil spirit in her. Paul drives it out. Paul set her free, but in setting her free, He upset a lot of people because this woman was so good at what she did. She didn't just have an owner. She had owners. There was like an entire ownership group that was profiting off her abilities. And when you start messing with people's financial circumstances, right? you start messing with their finances, there's opposition. So now what they do is they tell all the people, they, they appeal to national allegiance. What they say is if these men keep doing what they're doing, it's unlawful to roam. Like, if we let them keep doing what they do, the Rome we think we know or the Rome we do know is not going to be the Rome that we will have in the future. Something has to be done. So they receive a severe flogging. They're placed in the center of jail, chained. And that's where we get the story of the jailer. Now, the jailer, when I was in Philippi last summer... There's actually a sign, and if you show this image right here, it's the prison of St. Paul. And if you go to that next image, they actually think they have recovered what the prison was, what it would have looked like. It was a, a big hole. It was cut back into a cave, which kind of makes sense. Like, so when you think jail in the first century culture, I don't want you to think like two and one Poplar sitting in Philippi but it was someone on the outskirts of the city and most cities would have one jail they wouldn't have multiple jails. so back in this rock they would they would cut it out and prisoners were not taking care of them they didn't receive breakfast lunch and dinner which is why the church was so good about caring for prisoners because if people didn't care for them from the outside they were gonna die where they were and what it tells you in acts if you go to that next verse right here it says uh, about midnight paul and silas were praying and singing hymns to god and the other prisoners were listening to them So sometimes, so in Acts 16, if they couldn't get to a place of prayer, wherever they were, they made a place of prayer. So in jail, they're singing and they're praying, and other people are listening to them, and they may be listening because they liked what they were hearing, and they may have been listening because they didn't have a choice whether they could listen or not. Do you ever go in public places these days where you're walking down the aisle at Kroger, you're in a restaurant, and people have their speakerphone, and you're overhearing the entire conversation, and you don't want to? But you don't have an option to it's just it's so loud you just hear it And if you're in a prison cell you're in a jail and you were chained to other people you're going to hear what they're saying And it's kind of a weird story that breaks out, right? Because then you have an earthquake and the jailer thinks that the prisoners have gone free So he's going to take his own life because he knew if If I don't take my own life, they're going to take my life from me So I might as well take my own life and paul says don't do it and the jailer said what must I do to be saved?" And this is where Paul preaches the gospel to him. But what it says is this one little image in there. It says that this guy actually washed their wounds. The wounds that he may have caused. He washed their wounds and then he was baptized. And then he had them into his house. Throughout the book of Acts, when you have conversions, almost right after conversion, you have some kind of table fellowship that happens in a, in a home around a meal. You have it in Acts chapter 2, Acts 9 with Saul when he becomes Paul, Acts 10 with Cornelius. Here in Philippi, you have Lydia who is baptized into Christ and then there's hospitality in her home. You have the jailer who's baptized into Christ and then there's hospitality in a meal. So, when it comes to the church of Philippi getting off the ground, when God launched it there, what you see up here right now, this is how God started the church. That God encountered a woman who had known God, who prayed prayers, who didn't know Jesus, and God encountered her and opened her heart to know Jesus. God set a girl free, and we don't know her name, and we don't know what happened to the slave girl, but God encountered somebody in that city to rid them of evil, to set them free. And then another man who had power and influence, and God encountered him and his family and brought them into the family of God. Two people who were very wealthy and had power, one person who didn't, and they're drawn into this family, this thing called the church. So can we put our hands together and thank my three amazingly wonderful, (laughs) terrific volunteers. Church in Philippi gets off the ground. And then Paul's released from jail. And when he's released from jail in verse 37, what Paul says is this. Paul says, hey, hold up. I'm not leaving this place because I'm a Roman citizen. Why did Paul wait until then to play that Roman citizen card? If he would have played that card before the flogging, he wouldn't have received it. Roman citizens, they weren't going to be flogged he probably wouldn't have even gone to jail. They would have come up with some other ways to have conversations about him, about what he was doing, but if he would have played that card, just showed his license, whipped out his badge, it wouldn't have happened. Paul believed somehow in some way, and Paul believed this to the core of who he was, that suffering was meant to advance the gospel. Paul would later on write to Philippi's neighbor, Thessalonica. He would write to the churches there in 1 Thessalonians 2, 2, and he said this. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Paul believed that suffering, physical suffering... Stress forms of, you know, forms of suffering where there is stress. He believed that, like all forms of suffering, somehow, some way can advance the gospel. Do you believe that in your own life? That your own suffering, somehow, some way, can advance the gospel of Jesus? The very last verse in Acts chapter 16, in verse 40, it says this that after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. And then they left. So, when it comes to a church getting off the ground in Philippi, a lot of times when churches are planted and they start now, like we have target places. So a lot of church, church plants today, they'll have like a target area. Like we want to reach young people or we want to reach people in a specific neighborhood. And, 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 and so, God, who is our target group? And they go for it. Here's how the church in Philippi got started. People Prayed. And there was a place of prayer and a place of prayer and even in jail, prayer that wouldn't stop. And it was through prayer that, that Paul and Silas, like they were asking God through prayer, through us seeking your face, what is the kind of community you want to form out of this? And the church started. Philippians chapter one, verse one, it says this. And this is the very first thing you read in the book of Philippians. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, To all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons. Of all the different names and images and titles he could have used, he began this letter by calling them saints. I know there are some faith traditions today where saint is something that happens after people die. But if you see the way Paul uses saints, saints is something that happens to people when they live because of what Jesus does to people. Because of what Jesus has done, like you're, you're given the name saints. This is your identity. It's who you are in God. In the book of Philippians, if you go ahead and open there, Philippians chapter one, verses, uh, verse five, and this isn't on the screen. But when Paul writes to the churches of Corinth and Paul writes to the churches of Thessalonica, he calls himself their father. Like, he's the father and they're his children. But when it comes to the book of Philippians, it's not father the children, it's partnership. In chapter 1, verse 5, and again in verse 7, it's about sharing in the gospel. We are partners in the gospel. And this is how Paul thought about his relationship with them. Um, In Philippians... um, Let me just give you, a, a, real quick, if you throw that one image up there about the, the different bullet points about the city of Philippi. And if you want to take a picture of that or write things down real quick, the city of Philippi had around 10,000 people. The Via Ignatia is a road that you can still walk down going through the city today that would have connected Thessalonica, Berea. Paul re- references the journey in 1 Corinthians 16 and 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In Philippi, even though it was a town of 10,000 people, they had over 35 different deities. Paul visited this place in 49 AD. visited again in 59 AD. In fact, in Acts chapter 20, verse 6, Paul talks about celebrating the Passover with them, like celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread in Philippi, which is kind of strange because 10 years earlier, there were hardly any Jews there, but maybe this is a way that Paul wanted them to know the story of God. And Polycarp, a church father... In the year 110 A.D., he praised the health of the church. Fifty to sixty years later, he's talking about the work of God that started with just these few people in Acts chapter 16. Many people consider Philippians to be a letter of friendship and a letter of fellowship and that there are not many problems that are going on in the church. Like when you read... In the first and second Corinthians, or you read Galatians or Colossians, there are issues going on in the church. And Philippians is such a hopeful, encouraging letter. But one problem is in Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, there are two women who are not getting along. And the way Paul talks about it is these women were church leaders. These two women weren't getting along, so Paul encourages the church, like, you've got to help these women. I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And there seemed to be something about that division that if it wasn't set right, it was going to hinder the work of God in and through the church in the city. I don't know if you've seen this uh, video, if you'll go ahead and play this real quick. It's people on the same team, but they had a... This guy, these guys had a little trouble getting out to the sidelines. These little dudes, and they... <laughs> and I, I've seen this multiple times, right? These kids, and you know they, they have the same game plan. The coaches sent them out, and they end up like running into each other. And I saw it last week, and I was like, yeah, that's kind of like Philippians 4. Like, we sometimes in the church... <coughs> We're given the same mission, like we know what we're supposed to do, yet sometimes we just we end up running into each other and butting heads about things going on in the church or in the world or in life, and it keeps us from getting into the game. One thing I've asked you to do over the next few weeks is to memorize seven passages, and I just want to tell you why, and I want to go through them. I want the Word of God inside of you. Dallas Willard, A guy who's written on spiritual disciplines for years talks about that uh, scripture memorization has been one of the greatest ways for him to stay connected to God in his life while he was alive. I want you to know Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, where Paul says, This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. I want you to know the Christ hymn in Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. I've challenged you to spend, like, try to read and recite it once a day and just see how your love for Christ grows. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Uh, I, I don't want this because you grumble and argue too much. I just think it's, a, it's two verses that could bless you so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation and then you'll shine like the stars in the sky. I want you to know Philippians 3, 7-11 which in that has I want to know Christ to know the power of his resurrection participation in his suffering becoming like him in his death I want you to know Philippians 3, 20 through 21, but our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly await a you from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I want you to know Philippians 4, verse 8, that finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. And I want you to know Philippians 4:11 through 13, not just verse 13, that I am not saying this, saying this because I am in need, for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is a book that is 104 verses long. The slowest reader can read it in less than 30 minutes. You can listen to it in less than 14 minutes. Spend time in these four chapters. We're gonna go through every verse over the next 10 weeks. And Philippians begins and ends with Paul reminding people that they're saints. In chapter one, verse one, it's how Paul refers to him. The last two verses of Philippians, he does it again. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers and sisters who are with me send greetings. All God's saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. So last Thursday on 901 day, I spoke to the Agape staff, and the first prayer I prayed over them was for those who had lost their love for the city, that that God would help them reclaim it. And the second prayer I prayed over them was those whose hearts have become hard because of all the brokenness they see. That those who feel like their hearts have become callous, that God would soften their hearts. And when I set up that prayer time, there were a few dozen people who stood. Because sometimes there are things that happen in life that our hearts just grow hard. And when our hearts grow hard, grow hard it's hard It's hard to love anything around us, the people around us. It's hard to be committed to evangelism or wanting to invite people into a better story because a lot of times when things happen to us, I was reminded this morning of a podcast I was on with a guy a few years ago that when there are tragedies that happen in life, we usually do three things. We flee, we freeze, or we fight. That when things happen, we flee. We just want to get away. We want to hunker down. We want to do everything we can to be safe. Or we freeze. And I bet this morning some of us just feel frozen in life. Or we choose to fight. Which in the church, it it means courage. There are times we're called by God to flee. But rarely is fleeing the choice of the church, given to the church. There are times we freeze. Just don't be permanently frozen. And there are times, even through what we're going through right now, that we ask, God, even as we try to practice some caution in our life, don't let us lose the courage and boldness that comes in knowing Christ. Because we, we want people around us to know. And this morning, the whole reason we're engaged in this, why we are called saints and invited into this, where there is identity and there is mission, is because of what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus could have fled, he didn't flee. Maybe he froze a little bit in the garden when he was praying, but he knew that I, I'm here to ask God for strength so that I can go and I, I, I can go and I can fight. And Jesus is the one who encounters us today. So we go to the table to be reminded of who we are, and even in a dark world, the kind of light we're called to be. And this morning we have shepherds, and I'm not sure who position A and position B is, but if the shepherds will go to your places to receive people for prayer this morning, and I know Laura Moore is going to be over here to my left, and Casey, uh, Casey Ross, my wife, is going to be over here to our right. I'm going to be up here to my immediate left to receive you for prayer. If there's anything we can do for you, we're just going to pray for a couple of minutes as a church, as we sing, just uh, as we go to communion. We're going to take the bread and the cup, and after that, just for a few minutes, we're just going to open this up for prayer. If your heart is hard, let us pray for you. If you need to reclaim a love just for the mission of God in times that are really hard, let us pray for you. Let's pray together. So over the next few minutes, let's enjoy the bread and the cup that has been given us by Jesus, and let's pray. Can we bow our heads? For God, we declare today that injustice is temporary. The clock is ticking on injustice. It will not last forever. And though evil can wreak havoc some days, there is a lifespan on it. So Jesus, we give thanks for all you have done, all you have accomplished. And will you use the bread and the cup today to both remind us of what you have done and to nurture our souls. Through Christ we pray.